hey, look, try something different for your loved one this year. Combine <laughs> the chocolates and the flowers. Buy a box of chocolates. Throw away said chocolates. Buy some flowers. Throw away any wrappings of said flowers. Place flowers inside chocolate in box. The, and there's your Valentine's. They're thank you for it. That's good. Put, putting roses in a roses box? Oh. oh. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Another episode of the Bros and Brews podcast, season two, episode five, and we're here recording on a Sunday. And there is something, there is something a little bit more significant about recording on the Sunday today, and that is that it is February the fourteenth, Valentine's Day. So, uh, what? <laughs> so welcome everyone, welcome to our Valentine's Day special, well I say Valentine's Day special, we're not really focusing on on love or anything like that today, but did want to mention the fact that we are, we are recording on Valentine's Day, by the time you're uh, listening to this, whether you've celebrated with a significant other or you've celebrated alone on your couch with a tub of ice cream watching TV and Netflix like I will be doing, then great. <laughs> I mean, every version is is doable, and I Just feel like the, the further we get along in the twenty first century, the f- the more people are leaning into the non traditional Valentine's celebrations. And to be honest, man, the TV and ice cream—that sounds oh good. It's good. It's good. I don't have ice cream, but it's good. <laughs> but how 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 are you? How are you? How are you? I'm good, man. Um, tired it's been a busy couple of weeks of of all sorts of life admin most of which i i won't bother going into because as with a lot of life admin not very interesting to to talk about like a podcast setting um (laughs) yeah there's a bunch of stuff going on with with all sorts of aspects of of life none of it none of it negative all of it uh, Mm -hmm. generally positive but you know when these these things all just tend to stack up at the same time feels like you don't have any extra time in your days and you never get quite as as good sleep and Mm. yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely in that in that place and and the sunday morning is a little bit dusty i was i was at the basin reserve uh yesterday evening enjoying the the t20 domestic final Ooh, enjoyed, nice. a, enjoyed a couple of, of brews. Um, we haven't talked about brews for a while, so you know what? Let me give my one-minute pitch. Uh, fortune Favours. There were a couple of different Fortune Favours beers on offer. The Pilsner, the Pale Ale, and the Lager. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to have a lager. Nice. Good choice. The oft sort of poo-pooed of the uh, <laughs> the beer world, especially when you're getting into craft craft area. But you mm. know what? Sometimes you just want a lager. And I've got to say, Fortune Favors lager is pretty good. It sits somewhere between that, you know, you don't want it to be too in your face hoppy or anything, but actually has some flavor. And yep. I had a Pilsner afterwards and I was like, nah, man, it's I'm not to come back yeah. to the lager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I totally agree. Yeah, so enjoyed a couple of beverages in, in the sun and, and yeah, feeling a, a little bit slightly more tired this morning for that but but other than the general stresses of of daily life and and admin i am i am well but but how are you going 
I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're well. Uh, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I will also say well also. Um, as I've been mentioning every week on how I'm doing, it really is just work at the moment. Um, but I, I officially finish up uh, working full time in a month, in four weeks time. So mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of just waiting out for that, eh? Waiting out for that. I, I still uh, enjoy my job. I still love my job, and I want to, you know, stay focused and 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 in in the shop, present in the shop. I don't want to clock out anything early or, or like that. So yeah, really just work, and it's good. Really good team, and you know, I like the people that I work with um, up in Auckland and stuff. So yeah, that you know, spending a lot of time with uh with Mama Bear. Um, she comes and keeps me company quite often, and you know we. We watch the TV and and talk the stuff, um, <laughs> but yeah. Other than that, really, just yeah, waiting for work to to finish up, and then then I'll have a lot more chicken, like hopefully things that are going on in life. <laughs> <laughs> Random stuff. You're just gonna be out walking around in the middle of Auckland on a Tuesday, being like something interesting happened, so I can talk <laughs> about it on the show. I'm not working anymore. Yeah, and but well, hey. Like, Fun, fun fact, obviously today is Valentine's Day. Um, this Valentine's Day is the first time, not to make it sad or sad for anyone, and I'm not, to be honest, but it's the first Valentine's Day I think I've been alone or not in a relationship in like eight, eight to nine years, something like that. As, as I've talked about before, I'm, I'm very much a puppy dog um, and obviously coming out of a long-term relationship and then relationships before that as well um yeah valentine's day my, my first my first alone in a very long time so yeah just have thought you, i'd mention that have you been someone <laughs> in the past that you lean into valentine's quite a lot because i i'm i'm somewhere in the middle like there've been years where i've planned stuff when i've been in relationships and and had a really good idea quite far in advance and have sort of just used 14th of Feb as a date to do some things but then there's some years where I've just I've I've not been interested in specifically using that day or weekend or what like where where in those sort of nine years have you had big ups and downs of strong valentine's days and weak valentine's days or uh well my first ever valentine's day I got broken up on nice nice uh, that's yep, good yep it was a very good start yep very first relationship yep broke up on valentine's day um so that was a really good start um honestly i think i put a lot more effort into it like when i was younger because that was the kind of idea and concept of valentine's day for me um you know with relationships and things i was like okay this is the day for for love so you know i gotta buy stuff or do something fun and exciting and stuff this is the um, day for love. I've got to buy just stuff. The, just the one. Well, that's just it. And I think that's as I as I got older and and more and more went past. I realised that this is just another day for like consumerism. Yeah. You know, it is another day that apparently you are meant to really just you know buy and show and overdose on all of these things for for a loved one. And it's very much a, obviously a monogamous. Um, holiday thing as well you know relationships and and stuff like that but yeah I I don't know I think as you're talking about Valentine's Day you know people celebrate it alone people celebrate it in a relationship so yeah I've definitely changed the kind of idea of 
of consuming a lot i think it it's a lot more about like a memory or going and like doing something um specific or something mm. like that rather than it just being um on the bed a box of flowers and a box of flowers a box, box of chocolates of flowers. and flowers a, a, a strong cardboard <laughs> box filled with flowers <laughs> A hey, non-traditional sure. Valentine's gift, yep. but yeah. hey, look, try something different for your loved one this year. Combine <laughs> the chocolates and the flowers. Buy a box of chocolates. Throw away said chocolates. Buy some flowers. Throw away any wrappings of said flowers. Place flowers inside chocolate in box, the- and mm-hmm. there's your Valentine's. They'll Boom. thank you for it. That's good. Put putting roses in a roses box. Oh. oh. And then hiding the roses. Oh. No, I'm kidding. Have you done that before? No, that I haven't. Seems I just, way too specific to have just been thought of no, randomly. No, that was I just I did. I just thought of that. Then I'll uh, I'll note it down for my uh, future relationships. Uh, oh, it's 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 going to be all the rage now. Roses, that you've, roses. We've got plenty of it in a year's a year's time. <laughs> it's, it's people have, will have stolen it before then because you know the internet man. The World mm. Wide Web loves to steal a good idea, and we encourage them to steal ideas. Our our talking points, our segments, the intellectual property is very very thin on the ground when it comes to that. If you like the roses and roses idea, take it, run with it. It's yours. <laughs> Send us a message to let us know that you stole the idea. If that's the sort of thing that you want to go on, but on a complete side tangent, roses, favorites, all those wrap chocolates. They suck nowadays, man. Yeah. I had, a, I had like some roses recently and I just thought, wow, these used to be the bee's knees. Like when you were a kid, the family got a box from summer, you know, aunt at Christmas and every Christmas. Uh, be so excited about like the ones that I wanted, the ones that I didn't want to. Now they all just, they just taste the same. Yeah. I'm out, I know what you I'm mean. out on favorites and roses and any kind of assorted box chocolate. Never, oh. never interests me anymore. You know, that's, that's really interesting you say that because I, I, I have a question for you today. Oh. <laughs> And uh, my my question for you is, what is your go-to lolly sweet confectionery? Um, so does chocolate count in that? Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, whether it be your favourite block of chocolate, whether it's something specific, whether it's a a a, a, a gum, a bubble gum of ooh. some sort, you know, what is your what is your go-to? go-to sweet lolly candy confectionery so i'm gonna give you a bad answer oh. in that in that i think i have favorites within different categories but i couldn't possibly say that i, I have a, a, go, a one yeah yeah, yeah. so yep. my favorite go-to like singular buy from the dairy lolly i don't know if this is just a new zealand confectionery i don't know if if it's a western thing but uh sour peaches the peaches oh, and the, the peaches. shape of the peaches yep are just one of the few because i'm not a massive lolly guy mm-hmm. but there's something about those those sour peaches that every time i have one and, I, and i've had them since coming back to new zealand it was one of the one of the things that i ticked off in my three-week holiday in march last year was was going and getting like some classic new zealand lollies and man they just they're still fire <laughs> they're still so good so if you put me in a dairy and you said hey you have to buy 20 dollars worth of a single lolly that would be what i would go for nice. but i probably wouldn't say i buy those 
enough for them to be my my go-to mm. but mm. within the great realm of sort of pure sugar lolly confectionery it would probably be that nice i think i'm more of a chocolate person though than than a lolly person yeah same um there was a chocolate bar that i really liked that i don't think they make anymore when whitaker's came out with the the specialty brand the like the the thinner smaller blocks oh the artisan the artisan yeah um they had in the og run of that an oolong tea one. Oh now, yes for a lot of people not tea drinkers even people who are tea drinkers don't necessarily like the crossover between like that and chocolate because it sounds a bit weird but i really 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 like that block um and they don't make it anymore and it was mum's favorite oh. as well there's times I, I bought one for mum, she'd buy one for me, and they just don't make them anymore. Um, so I've got to say my pro- my probably go-to would be Whitaker's Old Gold, which is like a 70%. Oh, yes. Cacao. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in between that sort of milk and dark. I like it slightly darker. Mm. But if I have a block of that kind of chocolate, it doesn't have to be specifically Old Gold, but a dark-ish, 70-ish. Yep. Uh, I'll just have like two or four pieces a day because dark chocolate is pretty good oh, for you. It's, all, it's yeah, not bad definitely. for you at all. Once you cross a certain threshold, a certain amount of that a day, and and I can feel good about having that as sort of a, a sweet-ish treat. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think the associations of going, hey, this is this is really acceptable, makes me enjoy it more than often. You know, if I'll find if I have lollies or something incredibly sweet afterwards, I'll, I'll have that, that regret and that, that shame and <laughs> thinking about the dentist in six months time. So yeah, I'd say a, a dark chocolate, probably Whitaker's 70 ish percent would be, would be mine. And, and then in the singular chocolate bar game, nothing's, I don't think I have any specific allegiance. There've been a few times where I've gone to supermarkets and I've looked at the sort of chocolate bars at the, the checkout and gone, you always oh, have I a treat look, myself. Hey? I just never really know which one to get. So mm. I don't think I'm... And then I don't end up getting one and because nothing's, one. Yeah. nothing's sung out to me. But if you said to me, hey, here's a Snickers, I'd be like, okay, uh, I'll cool. probably enjoy this. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I've waffled. Tell me yours. I'm really interested to know. Well, it, it's it's interesting. You, we I, I think we are very much on the same kind of palette of, of chocolate. Um, I, I'm the same. I love my kind of dark chocolates. Um, I, I like the creamy as well, but yeah, more, more to the, more to the side of the dark. Um, yeah, I was trying to, as you were talking, I was trying to think of my favorite kind of like, um, you know, you go to the dairy when you were younger and you pay five cents or, you know, 50 cents, right, 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 you get a bag of something. I would probably say my go-to would probably be, um, just like, just straight up Coke bottles. Oh um, yeah. Can't yeah, fault you there. Yeah, so like whether they're the sour Coke bottles or not, um, always love those. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm very much a, a chocolate person. My go-to chocolates, I actually I love Jaffers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I love Jaffers and I love Maltesers, and I don't know whether it's because they're little balls of chocolate. Um, but yeah, Maltesers, I love the wafer inside and just the experience of that. And then the opposite end with like a Jaffa just being filled with chocolate, but like coated in this kind of orangey kind of taste of just goodness. Um, (laughs) whenever we like go to the movies or anything like that, I'll always like smuggle in a bag of Maltesers or smuggle in a bag of Jaffas. Um, so they're definitely like a movie go-to for myself. Um, 
and then yeah, in the in the sense of a in, in the sense of a block chocolate, I, I do. I lo- I love the Whitakers, so I'm I'm there with you on that. Um, but I honestly love me a good duo, a good duo block. Do you know the a double dick, a double dicker? Double right, dick. right, right. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking of. I was yeah. thinking of. Top, I think it used to be top deck was a cabri a top, thing right that top that is that's that's what i make but the didn't top deck. top deck used to be three different chocolates and isn't it now just two i'm pretty sure there was one where there was three but i think top deck was always just two it was just milk chocolate and then white chocolate i swear top deck used to be three i feel like i've had this conversation with someone in the past who've been standing at a supermarket glaring at the cabri area and going I think they've cut a chocolate out of this, but maybe, I, but maybe because I can remember the three layers. The the yeah, you the, do spark a memory there. In any case, I understand the the yeah. the yeah. two. I'm a I'm a big fan of getting multiple options in and one. That's in why one. I've always been a yeah. fan of uh, Neapolitan as an ice cream. Because oh. to me, I was just like, well, you're just getting to buy three slightly smaller tubs of different flavored ice cream. To me, True. that just made so much sense. True. Sometimes I have all three. Sometimes just have one. But in terms of packaging, I didn't feel like I was missing out on that extra like half a liter of the other flavor. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. We've just we've rigged the system here. We've we've. And I think <laughs> that's why people like goody goody gumdrops because they go oh, no free lollies. No, no, no. no. Very no, no, different no. situation. That is not an ice cream flavor. It's a travesty. It's a travesty. That's your favorite ice cream flavor. Look, you just. You're probably a sugar addict and you need to go see the dentist because that's the only thing I have to say yeah, we about can't that. Help you. We can't um, help you here. I cut you off though. I, I don't know if there's there's, oh, there's no, more where you're diving yeah. in. Yes, the no, the last one uh, in, in the sense of you're getting more more for your buck. I loved it or I think they still do it, but Kit Kat, I love me a Kit Kat. Mm. Um Kit Kat Chunkies. Yeah. Um they released the three different type of um things. Uh, so like you know you had like a, a caramel you had like a, a nougat and then you had uh, I can't remember what the other one was but every section of the Kit Kat chunky was a, was different texture yeah. of the thing and man I loved that because you'd, you'd bite one and then you get another and then you get another oh so good well, this isn't missing out on on the strong visual performance I'm getting from Matt through through the video chat he's just absolutely dreaming of a kit kat right now just the the hand gestures literal eyes closed so so sorry that you are missing out on that and this this audio medium but trust me when i say the man loves a kit kat chunky (laughs) maybe i've determined that that's my favorite now i mean is a kit kat chunky there's a strong case of of your body reflecting what your mind's <laughs> desire is um what i was thinking just before is i think part of the reason why i'm not such a big fan of confectionery is i'm a really really big biscuit person oh i think i'll always mm-hmm, be a bigger mm-hmm. biscuit person than i'll be anything else yeah, and i don't know yeah. if that comes as sort of tied into my love of drinking tea like i'll i, I would say on average i'd probably have at least two cups of tea a day some days like a long day at my parents place we're talking three four easy and i think there's an association of biscuits there that it feels a little bit heartier a little bit more 
homely. Less, less severe. Yeah, it is. It is homely. It's homely, right? And I th- and I think in my head, if I was ever at a supermarket and I thought, oh, I'll treat myself, I'm more likely to go down to the biscuit aisle, nice, than to go to the chocolate or, or confectionery aisle. And I, I think can for me, that. like I, I can be in a biscuit aisle and see the range of things available, and I get that, like, oh, which one should oh, I get? That oh that gosh. that feeling where. I think as a as a kid, you know, if you're walking into a dairy or or even a supermarket, you'd be straight to the lollies or straight to the chocolate. And now it's all about a chocolate finger, you know, Ooh. some kind of Pam's brand vanilla-y slice thing. You've got to go for the Pam's mm. biscuits, bro. Tim Tams, not for me. Too much chocolate, too much yeah. name brand. You don't no. get that much. They're way more expensive. you got to go in and see what Pam's has to offer and take a risk on something that says, like, chocolate sandwich or something that is oh. just really weird in its naming. And you can think, well, this will probably actually do exactly the same job as what a Tim yeah, Tam yeah, does yeah. or a Toffee Pop does. You don't get, – get out of it. Get out of it. Yeah. You I don't do, need yeah. a name brand. Respect no. Pam's or somewhere else in the world, Home Brand or Sainsbury's own, you know. Go, go for your non-name brands. You won't – you won't regret it. Surprise Especially with yourself. biscuits. Biscuits yeah. biscuits. Biscuits are biscuits. Or make yeah, your own biscuits. I, or, ma- or make them, yeah, <laughs> make them yourself. But yeah, I think I think in the confectionery sugar world, my my real true love is towards the biscuit game. And and uh, I don't want to say there's less biscuit, there's less sugar in biscuits than, than lollies or, or chocolate, because that's probably absolutely not true. <laughs> but at least that's how I like to think about the situation most yep. of the time. Nice, nice. No, I, I, I can, I can appreciate that. I do, I do like me a thin myself. The thins, thins. You know, thin. Yeah, it's just like a, like a, like choc- chocolate on one side, and then it's just like a, a malt biscuit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. yeah. Actually, yeah. I had a couple of those recently. <gasps> I don't know why I didn't think of them as being called, being called thins. But yeah, simple, yeah. elegant simple. in its design. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. Now yeah. I want a cup of tea and, and a biscuit. So. <laughs> I have to delay that for approximately one hour, but Siri? No, I don't have Siri. Do you use Siri or any uh, kind of Alexa? She annoys me, man. She annoys me. Do you know, last night I was watching a video on my phone and a guy on, on, on in the video, he said, hey, someone. He said someone's name and then my Siri activated on my phone. She's always listening, bro. She's always listening, and it scares me. You can activate other people's Hey Siri's as well. We did it. I, I remember I was somewhere, and we were all just yelling, Hey Siri, and our phones would just go, It's freaky, bro. She's always listening. I don't they, use her. They creep me out, man. I've yeah. never never engaged in any of that. Like I've been in, in a kitchen in the flat, and someone's been like, Hey, you know, Alexa, or Hey Siri, like set a timer for half an hour, and I'll still like swing my head around and be like, Who are you? What? <laughs> Who are you talking to? Just go on your phone and and, and do the thing that I do thing. and scroll up to thirty minutes and, and yep. hit start. <laughs> yeah. No, too scary, bro. But you and yep. I, we safe when they when they take over all the people who are using that that software. Uh, we've got way away from confectionery. Yeah, I really we're, apologize. It's it a diff- completely a, different suite. It's a dozy Sunday sort of a brain, and and the mush that's going on right now is really susceptible to to sliding onto things that were not asked, and no one wants wants to listen to. So, apologies, listeners. Um, we will be better. I will be better. I will try and stay within the realm of of 
planned topics. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was my that was my really long winded answer to your question about about confectionery. But yeah, sugar man. I think some people were as you develop, some people lean more into sugar and some people lean less into it. And I think as a kid, I was really sugar focused and now I'm so much more of an umami person. And I think there are people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum when they get hungry, when they get hangry, sugars is the way they go. And I think I've definitely pushed down the other direction. Not that chips and, you know, fatty foods are any better than sugary stuff. It's absolutely not what I'm saying, but I think that's where my my cravings are. Mm. I mean, there's a reason why in one of the very first episodes I asked you about chip flavor chip rather than confectionery flavor because that was what was on my mind at the time. But yeah, but yeah give me a dark chocolate and give me a biscuit anytime. I'll hey, always happily accept it. Let's, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. I actually, uh, one, one last point for myself. I don't keep uh, chocolate in my uh, flat anymore because it's dangerous for me. So I, I just don't buy like um, biscuits or chocolate things or packs of things or anything like that i really just have like i do still get grab um bags of chips um and crackers um yeah i, I don't have any chocolate in here anymore because i'm just i'm just trying to be better for myself a little bit more good for you bro and if it's yeah. not in your house you exactly eat it yep yep complex so not- equation that i know but yep. but if you, ref- <laughs> you really if you can really wrap your head around it, if you don't have the thing you can't eat it true True. But so no, I admire you for getting there. Thank you. Thank you. No, that, that, that's that's good self-restraint, man. I mean, that's we've got to lean into the, the thing of like, can we be bothered going to the supermarket? Probably not. And if, if you can always put that in the way of the, the stuff you're trying to limit yourself eating, then you're, you're absolutely onto a, a winning formula. I wish I could say the same, but um, <laughs> I know that this, uh, there can be certain things and say the pantry that I just know. I'm like, I didn't buy those. Those aren't for me. I'm not going to eat them just because they're there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Fair. A little part of the confectionery there. Let us know if you're a sugar person, if you're a sugar fiend, if you've had four fillings in the last six months, a couple of root canals perhaps. Let <laughs> us know the cause, the, the cause of your, your, your sugary demise, as it were. Um, but we'll move on. We'll move on to this week's main sort of focus i guess um performance we're back to another performance week uh yes. last performance week that we did we we focused on uh shakespeare matt and i did an, an excerpt from richard the third and and talked about uh shakespeare's prose and and the performance of it and and why people like matt and i who are both sort of shakespeare theater heads why we still take interest in that kind of writing and and this week we're we're trying to take that similar interest in writing and performance and and push it somewhere else and and so we were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago about what would be an interesting sort of place to to jump to off the back of the last Shakespeare one and we kind of came back to something that we talked about quite early on and yeah. I don't remember what episode it was last year season one but we talked about uh, adaptations. Yep. And our favorite adaptations, ones we didn't like, and just all the stuff that surrounded taking a source material and translating it to something else. And that kind of got me thinking around uh, specifically book to uh, film, or I guess book to TV adaptations and, and the difficulty of translating the medium that is long form literature into something that is 
for the most part, a shorter form and a completely different medium, you know, going from something that is, is just words on a page, nothing against you writers out there, but that is literally <laughs> what it is, words on a page, to something like film, which there are there are so many different visual audio components that, that go into it and the way that that is consumed is so completely different. And so, yeah, Matt and I had a discussion about book to film and is there a way that we could do some kind of reading from from a, a book and maybe a film and compare how the language uh, goes goes between the two. And, and we fa- found something that we think is a, is a pretty good in to that kind of discussion. Um, but before we dive into that, your thoughts on book to film generally and the difficulties of it, good ones, bad ones. Again, I know we touched on this some many weeks ago, but through the eye of performance and why sometimes they succeed and sometimes they don't. Is there any sort of key in for you as an actor thinking about, you know, things that you've seen that have worked well, things that you've seen that haven't worked well. I'm interested in your general thoughts. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, for, for me personally, I mean, books, you know, you can have just so much more, well, I say so much more detail, but just like detail in a different perspective because i think that's just it it all depends on how the perspective of the book is coming across and the perspective of the film is coming across as well um you know in a book you can have just so many more you know if it's first person per se it's like you know your inner thoughts a lot more exposition and and things like that and in a film you've kind of got to then you know figure out where all of that stuff is coming from you know uh, some films obviously have um voiceover and inner thoughts and and you know inner monologues and things like that but then some films also don't do that in the sense of that adaptation so you know is it how in a film do you get across all the information that's in a book um and and it still be effective as as a watch you know yeah. um so i think i mean a book always is going to have the um you know, the gift of imagination, you know, as you're reading something, you really can visualize and, and create your own, own world of this thing that's being presented to you. Um, and then in a film, it really comes down to the actors, the directors, the cinematography and all of that in creating the tone and the mood and the, the, just those visualizations for you, you know, I Mm. guess the, the film is doing a lot more work for you as a consumer you know and i think that's why some people like books more because they get to create their world um and then when it comes to the film a lot of people don't like the films because that's not the world that they've pictured you know that's not the world that they've they've created in their head from this book um so we're always going to have our own um interpretations from for from adaptations and things like that so it's just trying to find that like you know, happy middle ground of, of things. But also, I say this to people all the time, you've just got to, as you said, you've got to appreciate things for their own mediums, you know? Books are their own medium and films and TV their own medium. They're never going to be exactly the same thing, you know? So for purists and things out there from books and stuff, it's it's never going to be the world that you've created in your head. Um, but people are at least giving this a go and making it... Um, presentable for that medium in film and tv so that that's my really big big thing on on the differences between them i think what you said about films and and screen mediums doing more work for the consumers a really interesting point and that books 
they the writer presents a series of characters and interactions but they kind of rely on being able to give you 75 percent of the information and hope that you as the reader fill in Mm. that extra 25 percent based on your imagination some people who are incredibly visual readers or visual people take words off a page and in their heads see the scenarios some people don't but there's always that sense of imagining what is what is going on we could deep dive into the way that we process words and then translate that into visual i mean that would be a fascinating science in the Mm. in the same way of when we were talking about the record players how do you take scratchings and turn it into music there's there's a there's a a beauty in that imagination that films and tv work in a completely different way and i would imagine that most writers when they do pen you know they, they start writing a story the length of the story is probably not a major concern you know you don't probably want to take what is a, a 200 word book story and, and turn it into something that's 10,000 words but you know George R. R. Martin's written books that are super, super long. Some people mm. write short stories. I think the length probably doesn't matter. They simply start writing and they develop the characters and eventually the story closes and that's how long it is. Whereas in f- in film, what is acceptable was sort of two and a half hours and under, maybe three hours if it's some kind of blockbuster. But for the most part, we're working in the two, two and a half hour region. And, and when you start, whether it's the producers, the directors, the storyboarders that's always kept in mind because that is the acceptable runtime and and any project you take on has to generally speaking fit into that length Mm. so if you take a book and you decide to adapt it you're having to immediately from the start of planning condense and condense and condense and condense and try and tell that story in a slightly different tempoed way while still hitting all the varying narrative aspects, the thematic aspects, the the subtext aspects, all of that in such a, a squeezed time. And I think that's a really, really difficult task, which is why so many book-to-film adaptations don't work. Because yeah. the task is just so, so difficult. And it's often not specific actors or specific directors or just the vision was probably never tight enough or certain stories it was just a terrible idea to try and take something yeah yeah very long and then condense it in in a way that was just really 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 unlikely to ever work which is why so often as you were saying the purists the people who love the books are more often than not disappointed but today i wanted to to go into one of the one of the real success stories i think particularly of the the 21st century and i did mention it in that episode when we talked about adaptations one that was ones that were good and ones that that weren't good and that is uh Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl which is a book that was super successful like really critically successful uh I think it was a number one US bestseller uh, at the time and when it came out I think and this is me having consumed different uh, content based around around this adaptation. I think she knew pretty quickly on, pretty quickly, that it was likely to be adapted. I think sometimes there yeah. are writers who write these stories and know this is yeah, this likely is to, to be adapted because it might work. And so she actually wrote the screenplay for the mm. film, mm. which is not 
always the case. I think a lot no. of the times writers will do their write their stories and then at a certain point they sign over the rights to someone else to write the screenplay or adapt the screenplay. It's someone else's job. Sometimes they're involved, sometimes they're not involved at all. But in this case, it was very much Gillian Flynn, the author, being like, right, how can I take this book, which in the version I have, uh, which is the sort of A5 type size of my handbook, it's 466 pages, translating that into a movie, which off the top of my head, I don't know what the runtime is. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I don't actually remember the runtime of the, of the film. 149 minutes. So bang on that two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. 466 pages into two and a half hours. Now, I don't know that much about the writing process, but from what I've been told, this general rule of thumb loosely is uh, a page is a minute. So a 90 page script would be an hour and a half feature film. So if you think of 466 pages, you're looking at 466 minutes, which is a lot. I'm trying to do the maths well, well, well over hours and hours and hours. So obviously Gillian Flynn coming in as the writer of this book, having to translate it to film was a task that was always going to require a lot of cutting and when I suggested that this be the the sort of reference point for the discussion to Matt, I didn't really know how we were going to represent the the book and then represent the film because obviously we can't come on here and read the whole book and then describe <laughs> the film and, and go through the differences. That's not practical at all and probably not that fun. Thank you for being here for four hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for four hours. Um, but I did manage to find a, a good section of the film and what we want to do is compare that to the book and talk about how it was condensed and and the work that the actors had to do in order Mm. to i guess make that make that work um for anyone that hasn't read gone girl or hasn't seen gone girl you definitely should um i think we can do this without spoilers essentially the, the the story revolves around uh the the, the the female i don't want to say protagonist antagonist whatever the main female character goes missing and the question is you know what's happened to her and in general a lot of the focus comes on the her husband nick dunn amy dunn is is the woman who goes missing a lot of focus goes on him the this it being suspected that he kidnapped her or killed her or whatever and many twists and turns happen along the way but the focus of the book goes from multiple characters perspectives and it's written in first person which as we've said before is really really difficult to translate to film because it's all thought i think we mentioned it previously in uh referencing the hunger games which is written in first person so it's all i did this i thought that and as a book that means at least i'd say 30 percent, and i'm throwing arbitrary numbers out but a lot of the words on the page are not dialogue they're Mm. the way that you the character are reacting to the situation and that's where you get lots of that character's nuance that's where it comes from because i mean we all think more than we talk in any given day you know there's always dialogue between characters but but in first person books it's about what those characters think and how they react to situations and so immediately taking a first person uh perspective book and turning that into to film is your first immediate 
struggle as well as adding all the condensing stuff and so i mean it, it baffles me that they even <laughs> attempted this um you've seen gone girl uh right yes. we've, we've both we've both yes, seen it both i've seen read the it. book you haven't read the book no um again and it was some some time ago i didn't read it for the sole purpose of this as a as a story um i presume did you did you enjoy the film i loved it yeah, I loved it. I I I knew I was going to love it going into it cuz uh, the director was David Fincher mm. and David Fincher is just uh I mean for people that don't know Fight Club, 7, Zodiac, The Social Network, Panic Room, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Like he has done so much and so like great classics like 7 and Fight Club. So I knew going into the movie it was going to have this certain edge to it yeah you know um and as as you said I, I hadn't read the book so i didn't know um the plot or the story or what was going to happen so you know there's moments in the film where you're kind of just like <sighs> okay mm. and you know and he and he really does do that as a director but obviously it coming from the book point of view and, and what Gillian was able to do with the screenplay. Um, yeah, I, I did. I absolutely loved it. I haven't gone back to watch it because it's definitely one of those films where it kind of really did take a lot out of me. Yeah. But in a good way, like in a yeah. really good way. Um, but yes, yeah, it, it was, yeah, it, it's great, great film. It's, it's a ride for sure. And I think what I, what I forgot to mention before is part of my, in for why I thought this would be interesting to talk about from a performance question was a video by a, a YouTube content creator called Nerd Writer, who I thoroughly recommend to anyone who is interested in TV and film and art and speech writing. Some of his stuff's all over the place. Um, how Bernie Sanders structures a speech and why this painting is Rembrandt's best. And one of my favorites of his videos, why The Prisoner of Azkaban is the best Harry Potter film because of the way it was directed. But he did a video on what what realistic film dialogue sounds like. And that was sort of the crux of, of this is an interesting point for me. And I know Aaron Sorkin is sort of uh, also idolized in the sense of, of taking real conversation and putting it on screen. And what uh, the, the guy, Nerdwriter, was saying is, is a lot of the time in f- when you read a book, the layering of dialogue text mm. is never natural. You yeah. s- you read one characters and then the next character is below that. And the writer has to do back and forth. I, I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll find ways to layer single words over, but, but very rarely is there any kind of actual layering in the way that we talk to each other. I mean, even in the last 40 minutes, the amount of times we've, we've slightly spoken over each other because that's natural. That's how fast our brains work. And what Nerdwriter was saying is there's, there's some directors out there and the way they adapt dialogue to film are really trying to push the boundaries of what realistic dialogue sounds like yeah. in the sense that there is layering. People speak over each other. It's not you say your thought, I say my thought, you say your thought. And I thought that was a real interesting way of getting into considering how books adapt to film because on the page it is this character that character this character that character in the case of gongo this character that character primary characters thought about what the other character is doing this character Mm. and we build this world based on the amount of space and time that is allowed to you as a reader to 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 get into how the character is feeling at that time as a conversation is going on 
sometimes there will be a pause for a full paragraph to tell you how the primary character thinks about how the conversation's going. And the time that it takes you to read that paragraph might be like 30 seconds. And in the, the dialogue, the ongoing conversation, there would never be a break that big, but that's the amount of words it takes to convey the pause of thought. Now in film, you can't, for the first yeah. perspective you simply can't allow that much time. So if you're, if you're having a big character moment or a, a conversation where you have to feel what the characters are, why they're feeling the way they are, why the characters are relating to each other, it has to be done in a completely different way. Yeah. And I think I've, I've together, Matt and I have found a, a section of gone girl that is a really good example of how difficult that is and how you have to make such significant changes to your source material in order to actually realistically be able to achieve that. Now, lots of other projects get stuff completely wrong. They completely change characters or they completely change the relationships between people moving parts in the stories. And that's a lot of how a lot of the time adaptations go really poorly but in this case even though there's significant changes to a scene they found a way to Mm. make it work um so in gone girl the the main male character is, is nick dunn he's the one who's trying to find out what happened to his wife and he finds the contact of this character desi who used to be his girlfriend's uh, his wife Amy's boyfriend way back in school and he kind of goes and uh, wants to investigate this person because there's some shady stuff going on in, in their past and their first interaction is about six pages long and as I said we're not going to read out six pages worth of Gone Girl but as a rough idea of what happens in those pages Nick turns up at Dizzy's house Dizzy invites him in asks um, about Amy who's gone missing uh nick asks desi about their relationship in the past desi monologues for a little bit about amy nick's wife and why he was so interested in her and and very sort of cleverly speaks to the feelings he had for her and suspecting that that's a similar reason of why nick married her and and then they get into this whole chat about why Desi and Amy's breakup went poorly and Nick's suspicions about things going on there. And all through this layering is, is Nick, his first person opinion thoughts of Desi that we get as the reader. And eventually at, at the end of the sort of six pages, we get Desi and his, his mum, who's also there sort of telling Nick, if you want to come back again, speak to our lawyers. Like it was nice to see you, but what the hell are you doing here when you should be looking for your missing wife? that's sort of the course of the six pages um it's not that long in a 466 page book you know it's a relatively brief and fleeting experience between two characters Mm. but when you compare it to to the film it seems really really long and we've got the the script so it's not the screenplay it's it's the the final version of what was in film um and i thought we'd just we'd read it uh we haven't we haven't planned We, we haven't planned we haven't planned. Um, who do you want to be? Um, it's part of me that wants to be... Uh, I'll be Dizzy. Okay, I'll be Dizzy. Be dizzy. Yeah. Uh, and you, so... You, you be our Nick. I'll be Nick. And just for, for the audience listening, thinking that this is about a six-page uh, scene in the book, that would probably take you about 
five minutes to read and this is the the dialogue from the scene that was in the film mr dunn mr collings i i know you i saw you at the volunteer center i wanted to help well i hope you don't mind me coming by i got your address from this letter that you wrote with my wife amy and i believed in the lost art of letter writing I always wondered why you kept in touch after everything. You were together in boarding school, right? She was my first serious girlfriend. Why did you break up? That's a strange question. Did you treat her bad? Did you cheat on her? That's a rude question. Let me tell you what Amy told me. She dumped you. You completely unraveled. You stalked her. You threatened her. You attempted suicide in her bed and were institutionalized. Your wife is missing and you came all this way to tell me this? Well... I thought there might be another side to the story. And Desi leaves. And that's it. That's, that's the it. end of the scene. That's it in its entirety of the interaction that those two characters have. And it's so short, right? It's so like, different. It, it, it's so different. I mean, from from the book, you have him invite into the house and there's pleasantries and all of this backstory. And then there's a, there's, you know, there's a, a minor character of the mother as well, who Desi's mother is not in the movie at all. You know, like she is completely cut. So it's, I can understand what, you know, what Gillian and has done in the sense of just getting rid of all of the baggage, I guess, you know, with a film, you kind of just need to keep it going and keep the pace going, which the book also does a really good, good, job of doing it, it keeps it moving forward mm. even though there's a lot of endowment with all of these thoughts and characters and stuff but yeah what Gillian had to then do was just kind of get straight to the point you know um w- within within that um scene as well it's it's funny um Nick talks about um you know going on the offense thing he, he said i told myself to tread lightly it's the rule of all potential prickly interviews don't go on the offense until you have to first see if they'll hang themselves all on their own which i find really interesting to getting to this scene where he almost kind of does go straight on the offense yeah. straight away you know like there isn't enough time for for desi to kind of hang himself and all of that stuff he, he mm. just gets in there and goes straight to it so she's working with the same ideas and 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 same uh, concept of that interaction but just at a way faster pace and more dramatic i would say as well obviously yeah i mean just a small section from the book right before at the start of the interaction desi looked the way i'd always wanted to look like a very handsome very decent fellow something in the eyes or the jaw he had deep set almond eyes teddy bear eyes and dimples in both cheeks if you saw the two of us together you'd assume he was a good guy oh desi said studying my face you're nick Nick Dunn. Good God, I'm so sorry about Amy. Come in, come in. That is probably half the length of time of the film scene. Yeah. Just spent on Nick's initial reaction to Desi's aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. And and Gillian Flynn, who as a writer spends all this time creating, you know, beautiful characters and you can see how they relate. You You can feel how Nick feels about Desi even before they've had any interaction. There's just no space for that in the film. And all we get is enough dialogue that serves the purpose of the story, that moves the narrative along, that forms, because Desi comes into the, the story later on, 
we are introduced to, to him as a real person and they have this interaction and we can see some important thematic aspects about both of their characters and how they relate. But it's like, get in, get out. We don't have any time for mm. any of the stuff. I mean, I, I wrote down in the book, uh, important aspects are Nick's judgment of Desi, all that personal comparison, yep. not in the film. Uh, Desi being casual and smiling and actually being friendly as a person, no time for that in the film because there isn't time to introduce him as friendly and then yep. work all the way to the point of him being sort of suspicious of Nick. There's no time for that. Desi sort of monologuing about Amy, why he was in love with Amy, why everyone would be in love with Amy, which is sort of foreshadowing to, to some of the later part of the story of, of what we learn about Amy. No time for that. It's out. There's a whole part in the book about how Desi has a photo of him and Amy and Nick is like, why would you keep uh, her? Yeah. You haven't seen yeah. her in 20 years. No time for that. Out. We don't even get to go into his house. Um, all that we really get is the mention of Desi being at the volunteer center. So a key point yep. that they've seen each other before. And this mention of the fact that Desi had done sort of some kind of stalking of the Amy's character in some time, even though they sort of changed the timelines in the past mm. versus the present, mm. there's some changes made to the letter writing stuff, but it's a minute scene and all they have time for is establish the relationship between the two actors, well, the two characters have some kind of understanding of plot point that Desi and Amy wrote letters together that Nick is there to sort of interrogate Desi is probably suspicious of him and that Desi doesn't approve and move the story along. And we've been introduced to him as a character, like how mm. fascinating as a writer writing a screenplay of your own story to have to just look at it and the economy of words, just trim and trim and trim and trim and trim and trim and trim. And trim. Yeah. And the scene really works because both oh, yeah. Affleck and who, who plays Nick Dunn and uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who plays Desi, you can see like how much they, actively dislike each other in that one yeah. minute even though it's the first time that they've met each other and that the performance of it does so much work that the the film doesn't have time to labor in and dialogue and storytelling i think that's part of part of the the end of this conversation about film as a medium and, and the role of the actor is to be able to kind of fill all that that subtext the unspoken stuff and give a minute worth of a film more weight than there's time to put in from dialogue if that makes sense yeah no that makes sense because i i think the beautiful thing about language obviously in the sense of the spoken language is that the rhythm speed tone like that that does a lot you know like you can understand a lot of how how someone's feeling or their um their intentions on that rhythm and tone and, and, and the speed of, of, of how they say something to someone else and, and how they, as you were saying earlier, how they sync up in that conversation and stuff. So I think that's obviously what one film aspect has up on, on books books you've got you've you've got to um figure that out for yourself even if there is any you know that's why there's there's so much more embellishment with how they're feeling and what's going on in their head because you get an understanding of that whereas in film there's no time for that so it's really up to a the actor really knowing the character and knowing the script and then also the director as well how they want their scene to really come out at the end because i mean you know obviously jillian had the had the absolute luxury of doing the screenplay but her script only gets so far before the screen you know um i think we saw examples when we were having a look that what the screenplay actually ended up 
uh, was was different to the film, you know, yeah. and that happens a lot. I I, I can't remember what YouTube um uh, site I find, um, but there's uh, a, a someone who goes through all of the different screenplays of these movies and runs them side by side to the scenes, and it's just showing how the actors and the directors have um changed the screenplay ever so slightly, because mm. um, as long as as long as the kind of effect of that of the the script the screenplay is getting across then there is a lot of time and space for actors to make it uh like feel more lively on 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 stage and stuff at least that's what that's what i've on stage on set that's what i felt in doing shows before in the past you know um working with um Ben Wilson, as we've mentioned before on the podcast and, and friend of ours, um, he was always very understanding in the sense of like, you know, if, if something doesn't quite feel right or it needs to change or something like that, then you can. Um, because as actors, we're there in the moment and we kind of, you know, we can feel it. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's one thing that film can obviously do is is, is just the, the, the gift of the, the spoken language to the, the written language. Absolutely. And, and there's all sorts of stuff that goes into a, a film like the lighting, the set design. Oh, exactly. All, all the visual yeah. elements that play on. And, you know, sometimes all elements, if there's music or, or some form of sound added, mm. all mm. of that is going on underneath the the words that are being spoken yep. and the performances of the actors. So there's all this layering of scene setting, tone setting that has to try and achieve so much in such a small amount of time. Whereas in the book, it is line by line by line by line by line. There's a lot more time to piece through every single thing you want. But mm. in some ways, it doesn't have the beauty of film to be able to layer all those things together. You, you Because we, we read in a, in a single way. I mean, a character might think something and we try and keep in our heads those thoughts while we then move on to the next bit of dialogue that they have but ultimately it's it's probably more difficult to do than film where for whatever reason we can process you know the darkness and the the scene that we just read the the fact that it's done on his doorstep with desi behind like a a a gate rather than inside the house all of these aspects influence us on how we feel about the storytelling and probably mm. ultimately that's why david finch's gone girl was a success because yeah. they found a way to really hit the tone of the film like you said before when you said it was like quite hard work it feels like hard work as a film because it's so dark and ominous and you don't know whose side of the story you're on and you're not quite sure what's what's happening and it's quite foreboding by creating that world within the film that sort of I guess twenty percent of what the book achieves, and if you if you've succeeded in doing that, cool. Then you your next step is to be able to find the the words necessary to convey the the storytelling. You know, there's there's a there's a scene in the book where Nick Dunn's being interrogated, and basically the the, the cops that are asking him they ask him what his wife's blood type is, and he says, "I don't I don't know what type of blood type hers is," and and they see that as a suspicious sign. Who wouldn't know the blood type of their wife? And and that same important beat, that bit, is in the film, but written in a, a different way. The words are rearranged. It's in a slightly different tone. But there are some things from the book that you have to hit those points because they're key mm. moments within the story. But other than that, you have to trim and trim and trim and trim. And then get brilliant actors who are able to achieve more than just 
the lines that they have to tell the stories of of the characters and i think ultimately that is the success of of gone girl is that it's in some ways very very different but the story is is successfully told in a way that is gripping and captivating and and with the exceptions of some characters like Desi's mum being completely cut, all the pieces are in place. It's just achieved very differently. Yeah. And for the most part, book to film adaptations just don't don't get that right. I mean, the one for me that really jumps out is, and again, I mentioned this on that, that podcast all those weeks ago, is Aragon. But Aragon was such a big book that had such sweeping dialogue and 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 text about this magical world and the history of dragons and all this fantasy stuff that you would just never be able to condense into like mm. a two-hour movie mm. because this world building at least in gone girl's case it's quite gritty it's very sort of new york areas of rural america that we can understand and i think that potentially plays to its, its advantage as a world which we can as an audience within the first few minutes understand that's real whereas you take fantasy and you have to add all that embellishment i think uh, often fantasy adaptations are the ones that don't work like aragon like percy jackson as a series because they don't feel as magical as they were in the books because the books rely on the imagination of often young adults and film while it can be incredible in the special effects and the the way that they can create magic on screen it funnels the imagination of the audience into what they show us rather than allowing you know when you read percy jackson and you imagine the greek gods and all it plays on on that beauty i, I think often the book to, to film adaptations that don't work don't realize how hard a job they have to tackle the imagination of the reader, which is why those things were so successful in the first place. Yeah, true. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I I would love to do the research on it and, and have a look in the sense of how many of the writers of the books actually have done the screenplay for the films as well, you know? Because obviously yeah. that, that was one thing that Gone Girl had, it, had, had going for it, is that Gillian did both the book and the screenplay. That is, a I feel like, a luxury. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to go back and, you know, have a look at how often that does actually happen in film and, and how often we see that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've noted down some... Uh, some some films that haven't haven't gone gone the right way to the uh, book, and I, I wanted to jump off. You obviously saying that, you know, books can be quite long, and it's trying to to condense condense it down, right? But I think one example that went the other way round, where it was quite a concise book, and they embellished it a little bit too much, um, is The Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, they turned that into three movies, nine hours long, uh, to a, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien classic that was just quite precise in its storytelling, and they just, they just dragged it on unnecessarily, you know, they put side stories and characters uh, that weren't even mentioned in the book, like um, Gandalf's, uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen any of the stuff, but you should have already, um, the whole side, side quest for Gandalf, um, is not in the book, you know, um, Galadriel and Saruman are not 
in the book legolas is not in the book so he just endowed with all of these characters that we had obviously seen and loved from his critically acclaimed lord of the Rings series in the movies and the books themselves and tried to endow the hobbit and for a lot of people it was cool and it was great and if you're a fan yes but for me i grew up with the hobbit that was read to us in class in school when i was younger in primary school it was read to us during during breaks and things um and so then seeing the hobbit kind of endowed a lot with a lot more things it just it it didn't work it worked in the opposite way of instead of reducing it they he just put way too much into it uh and that's why it wasn't true to the the jir tolkien the hobbit um and then yeah and then you have all of these different as you were saying you, you know you have all of these different adaptations i mean in the sense of like um i am legend the original Richard Matheson, obviously I Am Legend zombie movie, um, 2007, but the original book was actually vampires. Yeah. And they obviously changed it to zombies because zombies were the really big thing in the mid-2000s. Zombies was massive, so they changed it to zombies. So, you know, it's all of these, like, adaptations. not saying that I Am Legend didn't work, because I Am Legend is a bloody amazing movie. But when you compare it to the book and how they've changed things and stuff, um, I mean, <laughs> one one funny thing I find from a from a book to film adaptation um, is Russell Crowe's 2014 uh, Noah. Uh, Noah, obviously, an adaptation from the Bible, um, which was <laughs> which was very different. Obviously, um, Darren Aronofsky, who is another big. Uh, director of mine who I absolutely love um, but yeah you know you 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 he endowed the story of Noah once again with you know a, a villain who isn't in Noah and all of these magical beings that aren't in the chapter genesis of the bible about Noah and stuff and um, Noah's aging he's actually 100 years old but they they don't really mention that in the film so yeah I think as we as this kind of shows directors screenplays they're obviously going to change things from source materials and stuff um you know other mentions golden compass world war z um and i've got to mention this one for for my mum as well uh jack reacher uh lee child uh wrote wrote the jack reacher series and uh in 2012 we had uh the jack reacher film who uh was tom cruise played Jack Reacher and there was a lot of uproar and disapproval of this because uh, the Jack Reacher character is actually 6'5", 220 pounds and has a 50 inch chest. He is this built massive being of a man and then you get Tom Cruise uh, who is obviously a badass but is is not what what we 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 think of Jack Reacher in that sense. And Mum was Mum loving the Lee Child Jack Reacher series was was very disappointed when it came to this. And I still don't think she's watched the movie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I I think that's what I really wanted to get to is that you know you have a a success of of Gone Girl obviously from from book to screenplay to movie it hit the right things it needed to and it changed the things that was necessary and it still came to the same conclusion as well in in the book to film and then you have all of these other hollywood blockbusters that just try and change things to make it work but from its original source material it's just gone 
too far. And like I said, it's not not saying that the movies didn't work themselves. It's just looking at it from an adaptation point of view. It's not quite right. But it, sometimes they still don't hit the mark like Golden Compass, really. That's my last dig. <laughs> Take that, Golden Compass. No, you're absolutely right. And The Hobbit is a really great example of how it's not a singular equation of why book to film adaptation doesn't work all the time it yeah. can absolutely be too much embellishment and as and as much as it could be in, in certain examples the, the condensing was too great of a task and i think yeah. ultimately that's part of why i was keen to use gold uh gone girl as the example because even in just this discussion it's made me realize how incredible that film is mm. In the work that it had to do to be true to the book. It's great on its own. You could go and see the film and never have been aware of the book and enjoy it. It's a gripping, gripping watch. Yeah, definitely. But the way that they had to craft it is, is in some senses, I'd say, more difficult than the, the vast majority of films that are just stories created with the specific purpose of you know, two hours of a feature film or 10 one hour episodes for Netflix or whatever. You have Mm, the luxury mm. of creating the thing with the intended timeframe that it will be created in. Whereas Gone Girl to, to take it from that book. And actually I'm glad you mentioned the girl with the dragon tattoo, because I've seen both uh, the, the version, not in English. Is it Swedish? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I, 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 be- I believe. Yeah, I believe the series is. Apologies if it's not. I think it is. Uh, but that that original adaptation to f- to film was brilliant, and then there was an English version with Daniel Craig, I believe, Daniel which Craig, I also yeah. really enjoyed. I think, generally speaking, it's the lesser loved of the two, but it's quite. It, that's what we're getting at. It's really difficult to take source material and then translate it to, to film. And it would be fascinating to know for the actors who were in Gone Girl, if they all read the book. I'm sure mm-hmm. some people True. didn't read the book at all. If they just treated the story from the lines that they were given in the script and that's what they worked for. The collaboration with Gillian Flynn, if she gave them a massive backstory. And that's all actors process stuff, but... As an example of adaptation done really, really well, and then how that relates to realistic dialogue within that scene that Matt and I did, having something so short, but picking the right words and having it not seem overdramatic. I mean, that that one minute scene could have been way, way hammed up for the sake of really making these two people seem like that. They were opposite ends of, mm, of mm. the spectrum hating each other. But it was clear, both in the dialogue and in the performance of the actors, that they disliked each other. But it felt pretty, to use a kind of bland term, natural between them. And the dialogue w- was realistic and achieved what it needed to, and then the film moves on. So, yeah, Gone Girl is an example of book-to-film done well, uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely See watch it. it. Oh my gosh! Um, and if if you're a if you're a book reader and you like reading uh, thrillers, it's 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 incredible. It's a roller coaster of of thinking about who you align with and and where you are at the start of the book versus where you are at the end of the book. It's it's brilliant. But yeah, Gone Girl, a brilliant example of, I guess, crossing creative creative mediums and having to 
take things from literature and put them in in the the world of of screen something gone girl did fantastically well yeah i agree i agree and then all of my examples that like i said some some work is their own um and some do not <laughs> um so yeah i th- that that that's why i was really happy when we were yeah coming on here talking about gone girl because that is i feel like a very good success story of these adaptations which we which we love i mean every, everyone likes to see things re- redone we are definitely in that era now of of bringing things from the past back to life i mean quick example for myself is is marvel you know this whole mcu they are comic books they are visual written things down on pages that everyone has enjoyed for decades and now here we are getting a cinematic universe of it you know and some people don't like that some people do if you love the source material and you can enjoy it for its own form now it's 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 always going to be a slippery hard path but um it's interesting watching this kind of I say trend, but it's been going on for a very long time, obviously. Um, but adaptations will always be a thing. Um, and obviously, we still enjoy originals as well. But it's just interesting to see, as a process, getting things from the written and then into a screenplay and then on on the set, you know, directors, producers, actors, set designers, all of this lighting, how how that can then become its own new form and medium. So um, I've very much enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too, man. Um, but we've got to got to keep ticking on. And and yes. please tell me, other than spending time thinking about the world of of Gongo over the last few days, the last week. Have you been watching anything? What's uh, what's been going on? I must admit, last week has been so so busy that mm-hmm, I have not mm-hmm. watched anything new. So I don't have anything to bring to the table. But how about you? Have you have you dabbled in anything new? Uh, tell tell me anything of interest. Yes, I, I have. I have dabbled. I have dabbled. Um, I actually I didn't realize when I started watching this um, the other night that I hadn't seen this movie before, um, and it's. It's uh, a, a famous actor that I mentioned once before and slightly roasted him. But uh, anyway, uh, it was Mission Impossible. Uh, but mm. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which is the fifth of the series. Um, and it was on It was on TV. It wasn't one of those ones where I just kind of went on to Netflix. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. Uh, it was on TV and the movie started and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. And the movie continued. I was like, oh. I don't remember that. Uh, oh, oh, I haven't seen this actually, but I've watched the ones after it. Um, the I think the next one has got Henry Cavill in it. Um, I can't remember the name of that that one in particular, but the next Mission Impossible. And yeah, for some reason, I just completely uh, skipped Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, and um, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. it it's it, for Mission Impossible. You know, the uh, originals, like the very first Mission Impossible. It was, you know, it's it's a cult classic in the sense of Tom Cruise, you know, young Tom Cruise, and you know, it's action, you know, suspense, spy kind of thing. Like it's it's one of those movies where if you like action films, you just kind of en- enjoy the th- the thrill and suspense of it, right? And uh, honestly, it's exactly what Rogue Nation did. Um, it was it was really enjoyable because. For Tom Cruise, I mean, a lot of people don't like Tom Cruise, and I can understand why, but you can't fault him on his craft in the sense of Tom Cruise literally does his own stunts. 
you know he's like if 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 i'm not letting anyone else do this because he 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 wants to do it himself in the sense of he, a he knows he can do it and b no one else should have to do it for him so he does do these things like right at the start of rogue nations he's hanging off the side of a plane and he literally did that he was harnessed in and he was hanging off the side of a plane as it was taking off off the ground like he did that um he also for a short time i don't think he does anymore um but he held his um he held the record for um holding his breath uh in uh, i don't know whether i don't know the record specifically but there's a scene in rogue nation where they literally did one massive take of him holding his breath underwater and that was real uh, and, and and he did that once again. There's another scene where he's tied on a pole and all of a sudden he like catapults himself, like shuffles himself up on the pole and like gets off it. Like he is a, he is, he is beautiful at his craft. And when you watch him and you know during these films that that is Tom Cruise doing this stuff, it kind of hits a different level of, of like, well, I mean, A, he's a Hollywood celebrity and you don't want him to be hurt. Um, but it, it, yeah, it, it was great. Uh, I think if you in, if you enjoy those you know kind of action films and stuff, and you don't really need to think a lot, I think that's the word I'm looking for. You know, you know, much like Gone Girl, right? You watch Gone Girl, and you're kind of there, and you're trying to think like, what's you next? You have to be in like, it. You have you, to be exactly. there and ready to contribute to yep. what's going on. Exactly. But then you have those like action films and like big sequences and stuff like that where you just want to enjoy that. And you as a as a as a spectator, you really don't have to think that much. And and I love those films. I love action films. So Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I'm not saying go and watch that one specifically, um, but I did I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it, even though it's probably the last out of all of them that I've now seen. Um, I mean, Jeremy Renner, some other good actors in there as well. Uh, uh, Alec Baldwin as well. Alec Baldwin is in it. Um, it was very good. Um, so, yes, that was one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other? Ah, also on a completely different spectrum of of watching on Netflix. Um, it was obviously, you, you brought it up a few weeks ago in the sense of reality TV. Yeah. Uh, and this reality TV show, don't know if you've seen it, don't know if you know about it. It's called uh, Blown Away. Have you seen this mentioned no, at all? Never heard no, never of it. Blown Away uh, had its first season. Second season has just come out, and I'm, I'm currently watching my way through the second season. Blown Away is literally a competition uh, where people blow glass. You know the art of, of blowing yeah, glass? Yeah. Yes. It is, it is, it is, I think it starts off with nine or ten contestants, and every episode is one round, they get given a provocation, and they literally have to make a piece of glass art, and at the end of it, someone leaves, and then the next episode, they go on to the next round. And that sounds awesome. It's fascinating. It's quick. The episodes are only like 20, 25 minutes long. Uh, and one episode is one round, you know, so it's not endowed with too much stuff. And some of the, some of the art that these, these people come up with is beautiful. Now, there's obviously some duds because people get get voted off every episode and stuff. Um, but yeah, watch the, watch the first season. Absolutely loved it. When I saw that there was a second season out, I was like, oh, I'm straight on it. So I think yesterday I watched about four or five episodes in a row. Um, it's easy to consume. And like I said, glass blowing and, you know, like fire sculpting or glass sculpting is just a... Uh, it's not. I was gonna say prehistoric, but it's not. It's not a prehistoric art form. It's um, 
I don't know the word I'm looking for, but you know, it's like, it's old school, you know, yep. it's literally just flame, glass and tools, you know, there's no, there's no technology involved. It's just, it's just that it's just flames, glass, the sculptor and the tools that they use to sculpt that glass. But just the whole concept of being able to blow through a pipe and expand glass into a bubble and shape that glass into things. It's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Once again, it's reality TV, so it is that kind of, you know, reality TV, you know, uh, judging and, you know, ready, ready, rah, and commentary and stuff. Um, but, yeah, like I said, some of the stuff that they come up with is, is just amazing. So, recommendation if you love reality TV and you want to see a different kind of art form on, on Netflix. So, Netflix. blown away. That's my I'm recommendation. I'm definitely going to. I love those kind of shows. Like Great British Bake Off, Antiques Roadshow, anything that is real people with some kind of skill set or interesting backstory. Or mm. There's a great reality TV show that mum and dad watched a lot of during lockdown. I can't remember what it was called, but it was essentially a restoration show. So people would come in with old broken clocks or rocking Oh, horses. the repair shop. The repair shop. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Me, me and mum watched that some nights. Fantastic. People yeah. come in with old beaten up things and they get repaired by people who can fix the leather or or change the the glass on on the the thing repair the the broken tatters of the old toy and it's fascinating these people who have these very very specific skill sets of using their hands on on materials and can repair them i love all those all those kind of shows so blown away i've written it i've underlined it I've put in quotation marks. It's it's going to happen, especially if it's short episodes. Because yeah, Lord knows in the last few weeks when I've been busy and I felt like I maybe have a small window to sit down and watch something. I do not have time to sit down and have watch a movie or even watch an hour long episode, twenty minutes. So so yep. doable. It's, so yep. it's th- quick. Thank you for the recommendation. I no, you're welcome. Potentially going to watch some of that tonight. Oh, nice. I, I I will I will mention another another one. It's a slightly longer episodes, but I feel like um in the sense of artisan and and I, I know obviously Fran as well um with her cakes and mm-hmm. uh, flower aspect of her cakes. I don't know if you've seen or she's seen it. Um, the big flower fight is exact exactly the same thing. Reality TV. Um, and there's these teams of two, and they get a provocation and they make these massive big flower sculptures and it's beautiful so some like that yeah some of the sculptures they they make and stuff is ridiculous but they use flowers they always use materials to put the flowers on and stuff um but yeah another really good reality tv show that once again is a different art form of of you don't usually see so yeah the big flower fight not gonna lie when you said the big flower fight i definitely thought you meant flour because you had said baking so i thought it was some kind of oh no i meant fight wipe out with flour (laughs) some people using self-raising flour some people were using wholemeal flour what flour will you bring to the flour fight and then i realized no you were talking about flowers with with a w so flowers with a w but for quite a while i was like i don't see how these could be hour-long episodes I know flour is important in the baking process, but what's the the catch? Flour arrangements sounds much more interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and potentially I'll give it a chance. But but yeah. maybe the, the the big flower fight with the U is a show that hey does need. Let's give a that series. a go. 
I mean, if we can, if Wipeout can have its moment, people biffing flower across rooms at each other is something that <laughs> I'm sure would get a relatively decent audience. <laughs> but before we go this week, we do have one more thing to say. And thank you for your recommendations, because as oh, I said, I've slept this week in my watching. So thank you for giving the people some some options of, of things if they're, if they're stuck on Netflix and doing the, the doom scrolling of shows and films and, and not being able to make a decision. So thank you for that. But before we run out of time, Matt and I have some exciting potential news. It's sort of nothing completely set, but it's in the works. And because it's in the works, we wanted to wanted to tease it. And that is that we are in the process of making Patreon. Um, Patreon pages, for anyone who might not know, is a way of uh, you, the public, generally speaking, can, contributing financially to uh, the creation of of our work some you know podcasts have patreon pages uh, artists have patreon pages you know, it's for anyone who ha- has some kind of audience and generally speaking if you're providing uh content free of charge and just providing people with the the option and the potential to be able to donate small amounts of money uh generally in exchange for extra content or uh, behind the scenes stuff or you know ad free uh episodes all that kind of stuff so we we haven't thought about it until very recently we do enjoy the fact that what we put out into the world is completely free and everyone is is able to listen to it if they want to or not if they don't want to but we are also aware that there are people out there who are very loyal listeners and might be interested in in a patreon page where we add more exclusive stuff mini episodes uh potentially getting our wonderful artist sarah jane involved and and it's in the process it's not up it's yet. in the works we're it's hoping the works. within within the next few weeks it'll be there um, but we just wanted to, to tease that and if you are a, an avid listener and Patreon is something that you would be interested in, um, please let us know what, what we don't currently do that might be of interest to you, whether yeah. we do a live show with audience or exclusive you know, 30 minute episodes once a month on audience topics, uh, people having the ability to suggest stuff to us. We're at that stage where we're trying to figure out exactly what extra content we want to offer via Patreon. So, uh, yeah, if you're a regular listener and and you have any ideas, please reach out to us because we would love to know uh, what you, the listeners, might be interested in us uh, doing for Patreon. But we're very excited about it. We want to go about it the right way and not launch it too early when we haven't got all our proverbial ducks in a row. But it's on the horizon <laughs> in the next few weeks and, and we're excited for that prospect yeah it's good yeah it's just a just a way of kind of yeah letting unveiling the curtain a little bit more for you um but also letting us continue doing the thing we love i mean one thing we we said right at the start of this is we enjoy doing this and we 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 love doing it and we we don't expect a lot um but you know we 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 know we might be getting to the the next stage where we might need some some things for the podcast and stuff it's just a way of for you guys helping support us um and getting a few little extra things out of it as well and and as i'm saying look if you don't we're still going to be chucking up episodes you're yeah, not losing sure. you're, you're not losing anything um it's just a way of you getting a little bit more and supporting us in the thing that we've we've loved doing for almost a year well we're not quite there but but almost madness um, it's coming up yeah, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, that we just wanted to kind of yeah let you guys uh, let you guys in on on that's gonna be gonna be happening. It'll be coming. Um, up. It'll be coming. It'll be coming. But um, uh, hey, 
Uh, yes. Oh, yes. I was just going to say, I think it's it's nice to mention it before oh, yeah. it arrives. So we don't do that. We're on Patreon. Get on Patreon now. Because we live in a fast world. There's lots of stuff happening. If we tease it, if we preview it, by the time we actually get around to doing it, uh, um, it, it might feel like not quite so much of a, a shock for any kind of subscription <laughs> or monthly commitment or anything. And we should say the amount of uh, uh, money involved is, is going to be, is going to be small anyway. So yes, fret yes, not yes. avid listener thinking about us asking for a thousand dollars a week to listen to the show. <laughs> not qu- quite a few zeros off that had some decimal places and you might be in yep. more of the, the right yes. kind of, kind of area. But, <laughs> but yes, that is us for this week. Thank you so much for, for the chat today, my bro. No, um, thank you, man. I, diving I think into it, Gone Girl. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, honestly, uh, I feel like I want to watch the movie 10 more times now. Me too. Um, and yeah, I, I think it was just a beautiful way of, of looking into these adaptations and then also just quickly comparing it to the ones that haven't quite worked in our Hollywood cinema experience. And look, hey, if, if, if there's some that we haven't mentioned that you're just a bit... Oh, the, this as well. Um, comment on our Instagram, as we as we as we always say. We're, we have our Instagram, the Bros and Brews Podcast. Um, for when when we when we pop it on there, um, give us a comment. Give us a film that was like yes or no, um, and yeah, we'll we'll love to hear that. Absolutely, bro. Thank you so much for today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your your Valentine's, whatever you, you choose too. to whatever you choose to do for it. And to everyone out there, whenever you're listening to this, whether you celebrate Valentine's or not, uh, we do send you our our love. We know that sounds cheesy, but anyone who's listening, we love having you as an audience. So thank you so much as as always for keeping along with us. And Matt, my bro, I guess all that is left to be said is that we will see you next time. Stuck in the ground